This is episode 13 with Jessica Long. Adopted from a Russian orphanage at 13 months old, she has since become one of the most decorated Paralympic athletes of all time. Welcome to 8 Billion Gifts. This is your host Sohil, a footballer, creative and student. On this show, we talk to all kinds of people to discover their stories, their mindset and their unique gift. Welcome everyone. Today we're sharing an incredible story and we're also going to dive into the mindset of a world champion. We're here with Jessica Long. Jessica is an American Paralympic swimmer from Baltimore, Maryland, who has held multiple world records and has won multiple gold medals over four summer Paralympics. She has an amazing list of accomplishments. Some of the highlights on that list include winning 23 Paralympic medals, 13 of them being gold medals. She was named the Paralympic Sportswoman of the Year and has won multiple ESPY awards. She has been named the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. At age 12, she was the youngest member of the U.S. Paralympics team where she made her international debut at the Athens 2004 Games and won three gold medals. Her book, Unsinkable, features the amazing story behind all of those achievements. And today you'll get to hear that incredible story along with the mindset it takes to be a world champion. Jessica, it's so nice to have you on. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So how does it feel being back into full-time training? I know we talked about you training 14 times a week. A couple of weeks and months ago, we were all in quarantine. And obviously this year you had the, the Paralympic Games, which were supposed to happen, but now it's postponed to 2021. So what's it like being back into full-time training? What is, what is that process like? Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely bizarre. Like it, it's really interesting, interesting just cause right now I should be done. Um, you know, I was planning really fun trips with my girlfriends. Um, I got married a year ago. So like life is going to kind of happen right now. Um, so it's definitely, you know, everything's taken a turn, just trying to adjust the best that I can. Um, I've never been through a pandemic. I've never had a Paralympic games postponed. So this is new. Um, I was out of the water for about 70, 75 days, I believe it was. So what's really interesting with swimming is every time, every day you're out of the water, it takes you about two, two days to get back into it, two to three days before you get a feeling of the water. So I'm still kind of building endurance right now. And um, motivation has been lacking, but at the same time, I'm really grateful for an extra year of training. Yeah, it must have been hard to to be able to train for swimming, being in that quarantine environment. But like everyone else, we adjust and it's good that you're back into full time training now, 14 times a week, which is crazy, crazy, hectic schedule. Um, Training hard for 2021, which I'm very excited to see all that hard work pay off. So let let's start with the let's start with the story because you've achieved so many incredible things. But what I find makes all that even more fascinating is the story behind it. So take us through that. Yeah, absolutely. So I do have a very unique long story. Um, I was actually I was born in Irkutsk, Russia, um, to a young sixteen year old Russian girl, and due to a birth defect, she wasn't able to take care of me. Um, so she put me up in a local Russian orphanage. And during that time, there was an American couple here in Baltimore. Um, they had two children, but they just were told that they had something called second infertility. So they were told that they could not have any more kids. Um, and they tried for, I think, like 10 years, um, but nothing was happening. And uh, they decided to look into adoption. And they knew that if they were going to adopt, they wanted to adopt internationally. And they also wanted to adopt kids with physical disabilities. Um, so they saw a picture of me at just like a church meeting 
And they were told that this little Russian girl um, in Irkutsk, Russia, had leg deformities and she needed um, to be adopted pretty soon. And uh, they just felt like from that moment on that I was their child. And they decided if they were going to go to Russia, they were going to get another kid as well. Um, so they decided to adopt a little boy. Um, so my dad went to Russia in 1993. And it's crazy because like, I mean, they, this was like three months from the time they saw my picture to the time my dad was in Russia. Um, it was only like a three month process. Um, but my dad said the moment he saw me and, and my now brother, Josh, he just like knew we were like his kids. He said the hardest part was going through all the paperwork because we had to stay there. It was about a two week process. Um, but what I was born with, it's, it's called fibular hemimelia. So basically it just means I was missing all the bones in my lower legs. Um, I, I had a foot with three toes that once I was adopted and brought to the U.S., um, about six months later, my parents made the decision to amputate that foot. Um, so I could wear the prosthetic legs that people see me in. Um, but it's kind of cool how everything works out because my parents, once we were adopted um, in a couple years, I think it's probably taking the stress off of things, but they ended up having two more kids. So I'm one of six kids. I, I come from that type of family, big family, homeschooled family. Um, but yeah, I just, from a very early age, I never wanted my legs to be something that defined, defined me. I, I really was that crazy little determined Russian girl. Um, and what I don't think a lot of people realize is just how often I had surgeries and it was never just like I overcame an obstacle and that was it. It was like every day I'm overcoming obstacles. Um, since the time I was a little girl, I've had multiple surgeries. I've probably had about 25 surgeries on my legs where every time I'd have a surgery, I would have to get fitted for a new set of prosthetics and then learn how to walk all over again. So I don't know. I, I sometimes I'm like, I think I've, I've been through enough. I've definitely, I've definitely overcome a lot, but, um, from that early age, I just never wanted to give up. And to me, quitting was not an option. There's a lot. I, I don't know if I should keep going, but there's definitely a lot there we can unpack. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. It must be difficult having all those setbacks, especially with the, with the surgeries. 25, you said, that's crazy. Thinking things are going to work out and then you need to get another surgery yeah, so again. What was really interesting, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, um, is the bone that I had would start to curve. Okay. So it... Like, I mean, it was so bad at times, um, like it had popped through my skin. Oh, wow. Um, and I mean, I was so used, I was so afraid of surgery. I didn't understand it. Um, that's, I remember one time it popped, like it popped out of the skin and I just kept swimming. Wow. And it seemed like every time we got the right leg done, I'd have to get the left leg and then the left leg would finally be healed and I get the right leg. So there was definitely a lot of obstacles and I don't think people, it's really even hard to explain. Like a lot of people see the successes, but that's such a huge part of my story is you know, not understanding why I had to get surgery, not understanding why I was born without legs, not understanding just the pain that I I'm in every day, you know, and it's, it's really, um, it's not something that I want people to ever feel sorry for, but it's just kind of laying down like, Hey, no, this was really hard. And this is definitely not exactly, you know, sometimes I really question why me, like, why was I given this life? But then I've really over the years. And as I've gotten older in perspective, I've really learned why not me. Um, so it's definitely been a very, a long journey and a, a lot of growing. Yeah, definitely. What did it feel like growing up and not having legs that look similar to other kids? Because I know as, as kids, we feel connection and happiness when we feel like we fit into an environment and, you know, everyone around us is, is the same. So what was that like? Yeah. You know, for me, I, it's really interesting. I knew I was different. I knew obviously like you didn't have to tell a girl missing her legs that she was different 
But at the same time, I didn't really feel that different. Like I could do everything that every other kid did. And I had amazing parents who, if I fell down and lost a leg, like they all like took a step back and let me get up on my own. So I was a very independent, very determined little girl. Uh, But at the same time, like I knew I was different and I did really struggle. I think once my little sister was born because she was born with legs and then the, the next one, my next little sister came and she had legs as well. And it was just really interesting. Like I, I didn't understand, like, it's really hard. And my parents would do an amazing job just, you know, saying like, Jess, you were born, you have an incredible story. Um, you're unstoppable. And there was no reason, like we were not given really a reason. We, I mean, we were told maybe Chernobyl, we were told maybe just, you know, um, she was, you know, drinking alcohol. Like we don't really know why I was born without legs or why I was born with Amelia. Um, but it was really hard. And there was a long time. I mean, I, it's crazy. Like I just recently started showing my legs and I actually just recently got pole legs. Like for the longest time, I didn't wear shorts. I didn't, I didn't like when people stared. Cause again, I didn't really feel like anything was different, but like, I didn't really like when people stared cause it kind of confirmed that I was different, but at the same time I felt so capable of everything. Um, I mean, I struggled with steps. I still struggle with steps. I still struggle with walking. Um, but I'm also so strong and so capable and, and people are amazing cause they learn and they adapt. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, it must've been difficult not knowing the reason why, you know, just growing up and seeing, seeing everyone else has something that maybe you think you're supposed to have, but that you didn't have. And so what was that like? Was that difficult? Did you question yourself a lot? Yeah. I mean, it was really hard. No one had answers, right? No one could tell me what was wrong. No one could tell me just like, all I ever heard was your story is special, which is really nice. But when you're five years old going in for your another surgery, because the thing is, every time I grew, I had to get the surgery. That's why they were happening so frequently. Um, and I remember this. I've always like I, I was born on leap year or leap day. So I have a birthday every four years. So I remember being on my 12th birthday, you know, trying to process and understand, oh, like I have a birthday every every four years. So I'm not actually turning 12. I'm really technically three. Um, I remember thinking, okay, like I'm adopted. I don't have my legs. And now I don't even get a birthday every year. Like my birthday is not on the calendar. Like it's only on the calendar every four years. Um, So I just remember feeling really different, really like it was just really hard. You know, I think it affected my confidence. It affected, again, I would wear long pants in the summer. um, And I just didn't understand like, why did, why did she get her legs? And I didn't. And I actually never saw another amputee until I was like 10 years old. So, I mean, if you let that sink in, like 10 years old, I mean, I I was around a lot of older people with prosthetics, um, but they were like old and in wheelchairs. Like they were not active. They weren't athletes. And I just remember thinking like, oh, I do not, I do not like that. Um, But I, I mean, besides shoe shopping and um, surgeries, like those were the two things that I really felt different. Yeah. And then, and then, so what got you into swimming? Was that just, were you playing a lot of different sports and then that was the one you decided to pick? Was it your parents pushing that on you? No. So my parents actually know nothing about swimming, which I think is such, <laughs> such an awesome thing. Yeah. Um, Cause I didn't had any pressure from my parents. Um, but no, I, I was a really active child. Um, I, I think it really comes from a place of, you know, having all those surgeries and, you know, every time I had a surgery, I would have to it would take me about three weeks to a month to recover because I would put in my prosthetic and stand on my bone. And so, I mean, the, the incision would like stretch. I mean, it was really hard. So we had to take time 
to let my body heal. So anytime that I got to play sports, I loved it. I tried pretty much everything you can think of. I didn't do soccer because at the time my legs, like they're really high tech now, but back then if I were to go to kick a ball, like my leg would come off. So I was like, no. So I actually, I did gymnastics. I love gymnastics. And when my legs are off, like it's kind of like, I just walk on my knees. Like it doesn't really feel any different. I'm just really short. Um, my legs to me are just like high heels, like really, really tall high heels. Um, that's kind of how I feel. Cause I don't have to walk on my hands. I don't have to walk on my hands and knees. Like I, I just walk to me. It's like very normal. Um, but I actually, I was in gymnastics for a long time. I did gymnastics for about six years and I loved it. And I would do the flips, that flips on my even bars, but I did everything where I landed on my knees and kind of the doctors were telling my parents, like, you know, if she continues this over time, you know, we have to be, you have to be really careful and preserve her knees. Since I walk on my knees, they were like, back then techno- technology too, like so much, like with the internet and everything has come out. But back then, like, they were just like, she has to stop this sport. Um, so my parents said I could wear my prosthetics or find a new sport. And I was like, I am not wearing, I did not like wearing my prosthetics. Like they were, they're just heavy. They're heavy, tall shoes. And um, we decided to try a new sport. And I love swimming. I had always loved swimming. Um, you don't wear any prosthetic, any legs or anything in swimming. So I joined a swim team when I was 10. And I, of course, I'm the only girl on the team without legs. Um, but I loved it. I loved when I was like, I, I loved racing these girls. I, I loved beating these girls. I was really good. I understand the water. I think that's the coolest thing about swimming is like, you can be so strong and like this big buff guy, but like, or girl, but it's, it's honestly how you maneuver the water. It's, it's such a beautiful sport. Yeah. So swimming must have been the perfect outlet for you then. And then also being in that pool with other kids where you feel like maybe I'm missing something that, that maybe gave you a little bit more drive to work hard and to, to go on and have those achievements. Um, so at age 12, you're on the biggest stage uh, competing at the Paralympics. What was it like having that type of pressure being so young? Yeah, well, I think it's really interesting. Prior to that, um, you know, I'd only been swimming for two years. Like it was really not, I was not supposed to go, not supposed to make the team. Um, but I really paid attention in practice. Like everything, like I had, I could not slack off because I couldn't, I wouldn't make it through the workouts. So, I mean, we would spend three hours on like hand placement or like pinky placement or how to grab, how to grab the water, um, in the best way. Um, but I surprised everyone, right. I surprised everyone when I made the team, um, trials were in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I just remember like I did well, but I was not top in the world. Um, and again, I was like, I was only 12 and, you know, the Paralympics come every four years, just like the Olympics. So my parents were like, Jess, like prepare, me, um, for when I was 16 for Beijing. And I was like, I'm going to make it like whatever. And, um, that morning when they announced team USA, like my mom and sister slept in, like they didn't even come to the meeting because they did not think I was going to make the team. And then they called Jessica Long to stand with team USA. And I like looked at my dad and smiled like. I told you so, like I need it. Um, but yeah, I was the youngest to go, um, which is crazy. Like I look at little 12 year olds now and I'm like, oh my gosh, like how did I, I, I went all the way over to Athens, Greece. Um, but no, it was amazing. It was really incredible. I definitely, I mean, 12 years old, I thought I was like 20 some, you know, I thought I was like on top of the world. Um, but it's, there's nothing like it. You know, you're competing for Team USA. And uh, my first race was definitely a story to tell, but I've been talking too long, sorry. It's all good. I mean, that that's amazing. At 12, you must have felt a lot of pressure and you only started swimming 
a couple of years before that too, right? So it was a lot of progress being made in a short amount of time. And then, so since um, those Paralympics, you've been, so it's been four Paralympics and you've now won 23 medals, 13 of them being gold. At this point, what keeps you pushing? What keeps you going strong? Because I know in athletics, um, they say sometimes winning your first championship or trophy or first big thing can be dangerous in a way because you take your foot off the gas pedal, you lose momentum. But for you, it seems like you just kept going, you kept pushing and you kept wanting more. So what would you say is the driving force behind that momentum and to keep pushing and keep going strong? Yeah, well, before I answer that question, like when I won my first Paralympic gold medal, um, I mean, I, I wasn't even supposed to swim in finals. Somehow I dropped so much time. I was on this world stage. There was 25,000 people, um, you know, and the Paralympics are pe- for people with physical disabilities. The word para just means parallel to the Olympic Games. So a lot of people at that time, it's grown so much, but a lot of people thought it was the Special Olympics. And I was like, it's not the special. It's a great organization, but we're very different. Gold, silver and bronze is awarded just like the Olympics. But at that stage, so it was the it was the prelim swim, and um, I was neck and I was up against the world record holder from Israel, and I just remember like being a little twelve year old, right? I just loved swimming, and that is what I mean. I still love swimming, but I, I got up on the block, and the official said, you know, take your mark, and they do the little beep, and I jumped in, and I and it's the hundred meter freestyle, so it's two laps in an Olympic sized pool, and um, I found out that I was in fifth place at the flip turn, which is like I was not in the place for the gold medal. And I was, that's, that's the halfway mark. That's halfway. I was the first for this. Like somehow I dropped so much time that going into finals, but a lot of people have strategies and they don't swim all out. So I was like, yeah, you don't always keep that first place going into mm-hmm. the outcome. But anyway, I'm swimming neck and neck with the, with the world record holder. And she's like twice my age. And I just remember like every time I breathed and took a stroke, I was like, I did not come here to get second. And we touched the wall. Like, I mean, I, I outtouched and won the gold um, by a tenth of a second, which is your, your fingernail. Wow. Um, so, I mean, it was kind of, it, it's been a journey for sure. So I started my, my Paralympic debut with a gold medal at 12. And it took me a long time. I mean, swimming was my whole world, right? It was my whole identity. It was everything for me. And um, it was a place that I found my worth. I, I got gold medals. At 14, I signed a contract with Nike. I was a Nike. I was nice. a really young Nike athlete. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was super cool. I won a really cool award. I started winning ESPYs. Um, I walked on red carpets with cool celebrities. I, I mean, it was just like so exciting. And what I found is the more medals I won and the better I did, people recognized the Paralympics. But also at the same time, um, I mean, it was just kind of, it's kind of hard because like all of my worth was put in the sport. So it's been a long journey and I'm like trying to think of ways to break it up. Like I actually, it's so funny. I won a bronze medal in Beijing and I was like, I'm done. I'm going to retire. Like I felt like a failure, like a complete failure, um, which is just so funny. And then when I turned 18, I decided to move out to the Olympic training center in Colorado Springs. Um, and I lived there through the London Paralympics. And then before the Rio Paralympics, I moved back home and trained with Michael Phelps, um, under his coach, my coach at the time. So it's been, it's like hard to even pinpoint, but I still, I still love swimming. Um, and I think that honestly, like to answer your question in a really long way, um, you have to love it. You have to have that passion for it. And it's not easy, right? I mean, any professional, any athlete will tell you sport is not easy and it's really, really hard. And it's, it's, if anything, I think it's gotten harder as I've gotten older for sure. 
but I would just say like that passion and, and wanting to be the best that you can be. Definitely. Going back to, you said you won bronze at, where was it, Beijing? Yeah, it was awful. So at that point, you thought about quitting and that was before 18. Yes. Yeah, I was 16. I was 16. And I had told, the problem is I had told everyone um, that I wanted to win seven gold medals, just like Mark Spitz. And at Worlds in South Africa prior, I had just won like nine gold medals. So I was like, I can do it. Like I shocked everyone and won nine gold. And that's, I think, why Nike came knocking at my door was from that performance. And it was part of two relays. Um, But yeah, I remember I I got a bronze. Um, My teammate broke my world record. I like, she thought I got second. And I was like, I got bronze. (laughs) Like it was like such a hard moment. But it's so funny because I think there's so much pressure that we just put on ourselves, especially being a young, a young swimmer. And it's, it's hard, right? Cause how do you figure out ways to like, you know, give up, like you want to sacrifice, you want to have goals, short-term, long-term I'm training for something that's four years away. Um, I've been doing it, you know, since I was 12, like, you know, that mindset or that mind, um, that timeline, but, um, but it's really hard. And I think it's like, you know, I, I definitely want to win the gold, but at the same time, I want to enjoy the process. But at the same time, I'm like, this can't define me. But at the same time, I'm like, but it does. Like, it's like this constant battle of like wanting to train. And, and I think a lot of people don't put their entire hearts into it because then it, then it really hurts. Fail, failure is scary. Um, but I also choose to like live without regret. And I just, it's worked out really well. And, and um, the thing about swimming is you're racing a clock. So I've always wanted to do better and better and better. And, and I'm still learning and swimming even after 18 years of swimming. So it's a, it's a weird sport. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say with the, with Olympics and Paralympics, it seems like a good amount of what success means is tied into the outcome is tied into the medals you win. So when you don't come away with that, with that expectations that you, that you work for, it's, it's every four years, right? So you put in so much hard work. And then you have one event or a couple events on the day to really prove yourself and get that medal. So when you don't get that outcome, that that must be a hard hit to take. How do you handle that when you when you don't walk away with a gold medal, when you walk away second, third or not finishing on the podium? Is that something where, you know, you're just you put it off to the side and you go right away at the next event? Or is there a time frame where you're just down on yourself? How do you handle that setback? Well, I think the thing that people don't realize is when you're in a Paralympics, like it's 10 days of competition. You've been away for weeks. A lot of times we go to a pre-camp. So like, I mean, we're at these camps for weeks before there's team processing, there's team pictures. You're in a village. I mean, the Olympic and Paralympic village is insane. You're a part of team USA. I mean, it's everything that you dream of. Um, you know that a lot's riding on it, but at the same time, like you've done the work, you know, I think that's, that for me has always helped just knowing that I like not having any regrets, you know, I mean, it's hard, right? Like rate records are meant to be broken. I've had world records broken races. I've lost races. I've actually, I mean, for the most part, I feel like I come out on top, but just worlds last year in London, I, I got out touch by a hundredth of a second. And I was like, oh. so close. <laughs> um, my fingernails are just a little, but yeah. it is really hard. And I think in the Paralympics, you really have to figure out a way to put it behind you and you can deal with it when you get home. Um, but that's the thing, right? You see mental tough, it's mental toughness is really what it comes down to. And I think you have to develop that mental toughness. It's really hard. And even right now in a pandemic or kind of what all these athletes are going through, it's still developing mental toughness and it's still really hard today. I didn't want to swim. I even communicated with my coach and I was like, I just do not want to be here. <laughs> like yeah, I've been for 18 years, but it's figuring out, figuring out ways 
to just overcome. And it's, it's, it's so funny because people are so amazed that like I've overcome, but I'm like, honestly, I've just never gave up when things got hard. And I think we'd all be a little bit surprised with our outcomes if when times get tough or when things are hard or when things hurt or when you're sore or tired. Um, I think there'd be a lot more like, I don't know. I think there'd be a lot more gold medalists or um, I don't know, but I think it's hard. It's hard to commit time. It's, I don't know. It's just, it's time consuming. It's, it's a lot of sacrifice. And I don't know if people want to work as hard. It's interesting finding that balance between the process and the outcome, especially competing in events like you are, because I know, you know, being an athlete myself, putting in so much training, it's almost like, you know, if you know, if you know, you put in a hundred percent, if you know, you gave it your all, you can find a little bit of peace with whatever the outcome happens to be. But at the same time, we don't like losing. It's like, if you don't, if you don't get that first place, if you don't get that win, it's going to, it's going to be frustrating and you have to find a way to be able to deal with that. So with you, it's like the extreme, right? Cause you're training so many times a week, you're doing it for multiple years and then you have one event that it all comes down to. So I can't imagine how hard it must be to find that balance between like, I put everything into training and I'm like happy with whatever happens, but also like if, if the outcome's not there, then how do I deal with that? Yeah. I, I mean, it's really hard, right? There's, there's post blues, um, post Paralympic blues. So like, but that's with anything, right? Like any major competition or anything, like you, you just kind of get sad and you're not really sure what to like do. And what I have found is like, I mean, for sure, mental health is like a huge thing these days and we need to continue talking about it, but also taking action. And I think the United States Olympic and Paralympic committee, um, they need more resources, you know, for these athletes that are coming out or, and same with schools. I mean, I didn't really do the whole school thing because I turned professional, but it's really, really hard when you don't have a good outcome. And I think it can be weight on athletes that can carry a long time because it's, it's either going to end in two ways. You're going to either feel like you accomplished your goal and your goal could be the gold medal or your goal could be a time or a record or like your own personal, um, your record. Um, and in swimming, it's like once you, you know, it's like gold, silver, bronze. But um, I like to think if I know that I've done everything that I can, right? Control the controllables. What can you control? Your environment. Um, it definitely helps the blow. Like it definitely helps a little bit like better. So like one of my races in Rio, I, these, both of these girls had never beaten me. The one girl did get the world record, but I wasn't at the competition. Um, so I did, I mean, you have to kind of go in, like, I got this, like, it's mine. It's just, just, it's only a matter of like one minute. And, um, and I ended up getting the bronze because it's not like I win gold every time. And it's a race I don't even really think about. Like, it's, I mean, it's weird, right? Like they both have never beaten me. They still like the one retired. The other one has not beaten me since. But, um, but at the same time, I knew I, I knew I swam with my heart. I, I did everything that I could. And I was just like, huh. But, um, but there are really tough outcomes and I think you have to figure out a way to talk about it or else it's it's something you're going to carry for years and years and years. And instead of using that fuel, that anger, like, right. I am definitely, I work best off with being a little angry and tense. I'm definitely a very intense. I like the pressure. I like just the intensity of swimming. Um, like right now, I think that's why I'm still swimming. You know, I, I have not, I did not have a great performance in Rio, um, and there's a lot of controversy stuff with that, but, um, but I think that's what adds fuel to the fire is what else do I want to accomplish? But at the same time, when I'm having days that I'm like, I don't want to be here. You gotta be, I have to be really careful with like, Jess, you've already got gold medals. You've already signed with like every big person that you've ever wanted to like, why are you doing this? Like, why are you putting yourself through this? 
And it really does go back to just like the love of the sport. Like I do love swimming. Like I love swimming and uh, it's keeping that passion alive. That makes sense. So let's talk about your intense training plan. Um, I'm sure a lot of people listening right now are curious. 14 times a week, what does that even look like? You told me you had swimming this morning. You have a lift later on. Uh, usually it's two times a day. Take us through a, a daily routine. What's a day in the life like for Jessica Long from waking up to going to training to going to training again to, to completing that day? Yeah, well, it's a little, it's still a little funky right now just because I'm trying, like I'm building up endurance. Um, and I will be moving out to the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs next month, which I used to live there. So I'm like, kind of like, okay, here we go. But say if I'm out there, um, so I'll wake up and normally, I mean, I'm getting up at like 5.30, 6 a.m. Um, I'll head over to the pool. I will do about an hour of stretching, rolling out. Um, recovery, just like going through all these exercise routines and kind of focusing for the practice and that all there, that's like mental strength, like mentally that's exhausting and rolling out is like still tiring. That's still an hour of like stretching. Um, and then also a two hour practice, um, kind of depends on the day. Some days it's, you know, heavy IM work. Some days it's racing. Some days it's distance sets, ladder sprinting, mid distance turns. It could be whatever it is, but through, I mean, I know I'm going to have a part in the practice that is going to require a lot of work, um, very intense aerobic work. Um, and then after that's done, I will get out of the pool, recover a little bit. Um, maybe at that point, eat breakfast, take a nap, um, or head over to weight training. Kind of, again, it's kind of confusing because it depends on the day. Weight training is so hard because it's like I just swam. And I, in swimming, you will rotate your arms about 13 to 15,000 times of practice. Like, oh, wow. I mean, it's, I mean, you are just constantly, you know, swimming, rotating. So from there, from weight training, I'll head back over to the pool and do another two hour practice. But before that, I do another like rolling out session. So like rolling out and stretching takes about an hour and a half, two hours of the day. Swimming can be anywhere from two and a half to four hours a day. Weight training. And if I'm not weight training, it's like, abs, yoga, Pilates, PT. It's just, it's like a full-time job. It's like, I don't know. It's a lot. But right now, as I've gotten older, I'm 28. Um, it's learning to swim smarter. So like when I trained with Michael Phelps and Bob Bowman and those Olympic athletes, um, we would bust out. I mean, we were cranking out like, I mean, I would wake up at like five, five thirty, and go to bed at 7 PM, like every day. Um, and there are days like I couldn't even like like cross my arms you were so tired but um but like I don't have to do that amount of yardage anymore like I it's like swimming smarter but it still takes the same amount of time and if anything more energy because you're so you're thinking of your technique it's more I don't know really exhausting yeah and it seems like that comes with age when we're all younger we think the more you train the better it is but now it's just about being smart like doing that hour of foam rolling that hour of stretching because that's then going to help your actual swimming I'm I'm curious, your time with Michael Phelps, what's one takeaway you got from him being the incredible athlete he is? Well, that's actually really cool. We were both Baltimore people. Um, and it's actually so for so long, people were like, oh, like you're in the Olympics. And I'm like, well, yes, but I'm in the Paralympics, which it's gaining momentum. But a lot of people didn't really know what it was like. It's, it's more recently, like getting more um, coverage and stuff. But um, it's so funny because people, as soon as I said I was a Paralympic athlete, it was like an immediate like, oh, like, oh, like, that's cool. Like, that's nice. Like, good for you. Like, like, 
like a special, like, I don't know. I was like, oh, okay. But it is, it's like, I'm still an elite athlete and I train really hard. So when the opportunity came up to train with Olympic athletes, um, I, of course I took it. And I, I think for me, it was a way to prove that like, no, Jess, you are just as good as the Olympic athletes. And um, we had to make small adjustments here and there. Like we have short course and long course pools. So we have a 25 meter and a 25 and a 50 meter pool, but it was amazing. Like it was really cool, um, hard. Like some athletes could slack off. I couldn't, you know, 110% effort every day. Um, but it was such an amazing atmosphere. And I'll never forget this one practice with Michael. I still, I just thought it was the nicest thing. So it was a practice. I think it was like Thanksgiving or something. And I didn't think it was going to be that hard. But now I know like that they call it the turkey burner. Cause like we, you know, you eat so much food and they like. After Thanksgiving. Yeah. They want to burn it all off the next day at practice. So I just remember like being a little shocked with the, this insane, like I am set. It was just so tired. And I was like the last one in the pool. And like, you can't just leave. Like I had to finish it. So everyone, like some people had like dried off and they're talking and like, I finally finished and my legs were like over on the other side of the pool. And I'm like waddling on my knees, exhausted. It was like two and a half hours, maybe a three hour practice. And, um, I just remember Michael, like getting really, really like, crouching down low and like opening up his arms and he like gave me a hug and just told me like and then you do it again the next day but um Michael always called me J-Lo Jessica Long J-Lo um but no I just think he's a really incredible guy and I think um I really like that he's talking about mental health I think he's doing an amazing job right now but I think the biggest thing is he brought awareness to swimming so like it's really I mean he, that was all Michael, right? He brought awareness to the sport. He grew the movement of swimming stuff. Yeah, that must have helped so much being in that environment with people who are competing at the highest levels. And it just goes to show that you are at an incredible elite level, being able to be in those practices and do the same programs and routines that they're doing. What would you say are some important common characteristics that people should look to take on if they want to get at an elite level? in their field, whatever that may be, if it's sports, it's sports, if it's business, it's business. What are some common characteristics or traits that people should look to develop? Yeah, good question. I think really discipline is huge. I think, I mean, anyone could probably get through training like I do in a day, but it's like, how do you do it again? Like day in, day out. Um, so just having discipline, being consistent, right? I think consistency just like is key to success. I see so many people want to do all these really great things, but the moment it gets hard, like a lot of people tend to just give up again when things get hard. So consistency, um, but also doing the extra work, like finding ways to make yourself better versus like your competitors. So like there was a time that I would, a time, but like when I was still developing backstroke, I would get in an hour before our swim practice as a team just to work on like my weakest stroke. And I think people could really like, what is your weakest thing? Like, what are you really, like, really not good at? Whether it's your job, your school, like, find, like spending a little bit of extra time on your weakest, I don't know, what is it, like, tria thing, passion, I don't know. But um, I don't know, that always helps. But also, like, I am a big visualizer. So I think visualizing what you want and setting your goals really high is really important. But I think it's really important to talk about, like, it's really hard. Like it is go, it is going to not make sense. It is going to be really lonely. It's going to be, you know, you might not get to that goal. It might not be for another like 10, I mean, five to 10 years. I mean, things take time, but again, that's that consistency. It's not, it's not being consistent for six months. It's being consistent for 
years, years and years and knowing that somehow it is going to pay off and it might not pay off in the way that you want, but I do think recognizing the journey is really exciting. And the journey is a huge part of the success. Consistency is huge. Being able to show up day in, day out, especially when you don't want to do those practices like the one you had this morning, right? Or when things aren't as exciting as they were when you first set out to do them. It's just being consistent, really putting in that work. And then through that, you said, you know, working on weaknesses, working on your strengths, looking for ways that you can be unique and stand out and really make up ground. Those are some good tips. Uh, You touched on having goals earlier. I'm sure goals are super, super important. And I'm wondering how, how Paralympic athletes like yourself classify goals is it like do you have your short-term goals do you have your long-term goals is it based on a Paralympic event how does that all play out yeah no that's a really good question um I you know for me it's definitely short and long term so like the long-term goal is the Paralympics and that's every four years but in between that we have camp packs we have can-ams we have all sorts of meets we have um what else do we have did I say world championships well we have worlds um so those to me are my short term like that, like in this quad, I, I know that I have those competitions, you know, to get into the big competition. Um, but I think with anything that I do, it's just it's it is like it's writing those goals out. I think it's really important to write them out. Um, I think you can see them that way. When I was younger, I used to write my swimming times like everywhere and put them everywhere just so I could see it. And that used to I mean, it worked really well. Um, but yeah, I mean, just I think the short term goals are so important because it kind of helps you see how far you've really come. But yeah, I like the short term because it's like, oh, I'm on the right track or, oh, I need to make adjustments or, oh, I'm not where I thought I would be like, or, oh, I'm actually way ahead. Like all of that hard work is paying off. So I definitely, um, that's kind of how I classify it is just, um, yeah, short and long-term goals. Paralympics. Yeah. And it's, it's very important to, to be clear around those goals too, because you just mentioned writing down your swim times, like getting to that point of clarity where, you know, seconds really matter because a lot of people set, well, there's some people who don't have goals. So if you don't have goals, first off, set goals, but then also be clear about the goals you set. Cause if you don't have clarity around the goals you set, you know, if, if it's just, I want to become fit, well, what does that look like? You don't know what that looks like. So being clear around, you know, the goals you're setting and what you achieve, what you want to achieve is super important. And I feel like being a Paralympic athlete for you, it's like the goals are so clear with like, I want to hit this time or I need to hit this time. Yeah, but it's even more like I still get really excited. Like I wanted to write a book and um, my sister and I ended up writing our book and it highlighted me going back to Russia to meet my birth family, which was crazy. Um, Also, like I, when I was little, I remember like, I wanted Paralympics to be more well-known and that's really like little stuff like that. It's really cool to see happen or something. I I remember when I was little, I really wanted, um, I don't know, just sponsorships, like sponsorships are so cool. And I've been sponsored by so many really cool people, but yeah, I don't know. I think it's, you you can, you can just dream big and, and yes, be very specific. Like whether that's even the house that you want one day or a car, like any, like the type of traits you want in a person you're going to marry. Like, I don't know. I'm just like very goal oriented. So you mentioned uh, you're a big fan of visualizing and doing imagery work. Do you have any other tools you use like self-talk affirmations? I'm sure there's a lot of little tools you use being a high level athlete. It is really weird. I mean, there's a moment. Yes. I talk to myself sometimes in front of like the mirror and I'm like, you <laughs> literally like, yeah. and then like, Fiving the mirror, like you got this. Um, no, yeah, I've done that. I do a lot of talking, or like I'll be in my bed late at night, and I used to, I've done this for so many, so long, but just like 
going through the motions with my eyes like shut of swimming or like, and we would do this even before practices sometimes with our coaches, but like visualizing, you know, the beginning, the middle and the end. And how do you want the race to go and seeing the results up on the scoreboard? Um, that's something I, I find myself just, if I'm cooking or if I'm like driving, like just, I go right back to that. Like, like, how do I want this? Like I'm working towards something, but today's kind of a slow day or it's just like a, you know, just training is boring. It's not always glamorous and people really get into the Olympics and Paralympics when it's like the year of, but like, I was still training hard, like four years ago. Like I was still training, you know, I've been training for years for uh, Tokyo when it got postponed. It's not like I just started training. So it's like in those moments when, um, when it feels so far away, that's when I'm still visualizing. Um, I also, I always called like talking into the mirror, like my secret weapon, like visualizing was my secret weapon, but also like making sure that you're doing everything possible. Like whether that's what you're putting in your body as an athlete or your mind, right? There's still, you know, everything that you're seeing or thinking, um, vitamins, I take a lot of vitamins and we get drug tested and stuff. So being careful with that, um, sleep is really important. Um, but yeah, just, I, it's, it's really hard. Like in order to be the best, you do have to make sacrifices. And for years, like I, you miss a lot of really great stuff, but again, the outcome, if it's like you're part of your goal, like it, it really is worth it. Do you ever have a negative self-talk or self-doubt? Cause I know people looking at the top of the world and what they do, they think they're perfect. They think they have it all figured out. Everything's always in control, but I'm sure there's, there's gotta be moments where, you know, you have some negative self-talk or you doubt yourself. And if so, how do you deal with that? How do you overcome that? I think if I have just, it's a bad day. Like it's just a bad moment, a bad day. And it's okay. Like that's very, that's very normal or like natural, right? It's natural to have negative thoughts. It's natural to doubt yourself. Like, again, even today I was just like, oh my gosh, I don't even know how to swim. And my coach is like, just stop overthinking it, just swim. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I have been swimming for 18 years. Like I am a good swimmer. I know what I'm doing, but, um, but yeah, it's just funny. Like it, it happens. And I think if anything, like when, like there, are, there were weeks there that I've had like bad, bad, bad practices, bad practice, like over and over again. And I'm like, what am I doing wrong? And it's not really a bad practice, but it's just, it's being fatigued. It's being tired from training. It's just, you're mentally broken down, but that's like, that's what you're training for, right? To be mental, like to be broken down when you're in the village and you've only had an hour of rest and it's day nine, like, that's what you, like, I try to remember, like, all of this is not a waste. Even when I'm tired, like it's going to come in handy one day, like at the Paralympics, but, um, it's just training your mind to see the good in everything. And, and just like I train in swimming, it's like, yeah, still have to train like positive talk or just having confidence or like, but it's, it is very, and right now it's really weird because I should have been done. So I'm ha- I have had a little bit of a harder time now, but at the same time, like talking about it with other athletes is really important. And just like opening up like, Hey, this, this is weird. We're sh- we should be done. We should be celebrating. But instead we have a whole year of training, but trying to see the positive in that. So knowing it's going to be part of the process, you're going to have those negative thoughts. You're going to have those practices or days where things don't go according to plan. And I mean, especially now with, with COVID, I'm sure everybody has had time frames or days or weeks where things just aren't working out. And knowing that, you know, go and talk to someone, go and talk to family, go and talk to your support system. There's always someone to push you and get you into that positive place. I'm curious, what about your mindset do you uh, still think needs work right now? So you're 28, you've been in the game for so long. Is there anything you're still struggling with? Anything you're trying to improve? Getting it out of my head that I've done enough. Meaning like, so it's really interesting. Like 
as an elite athlete, like I've won gold medals. I've got some amazing sponsors right now. I just filmed a commercial in South Africa. Like there are so many good things that come even now still swimming, but it's like sometimes when I'm having those really tough practices and this is something I need to work on is thinking that I've made it right. Like thinking that like that is a dangerous place to be in. I would say, um, just because like, no, I haven't made it like, yes, I've done really well, but the moment I think that I've made it, I think I start to lose motivation and I start to lose just, just the excitement and the, the pressure. Like I, and that's really dangerous. Sometimes I look around and I'm like, I, I have gold medals. I'm not training for my first gold medal. I've got these incredible sponsors. I've been with so many cool companies. I had a Coca-Cola commercial. I was with Visa, Ralph Lauren. Um, right now I'm with Toyota and Bridgestone and who you there's, yeah, there's some cool stuff I can't say, but, um, it's just getting it out of my head that I've made it. Cause it's like, you're not, you're not done. That must be, that must be tricky having won so many medals, having won so many achievements. Um, but I think, as you said, it's about finding joy in the process, finding joy in like the grind to get to the next event. Like that's what you're excited about. And, and yeah, I mean, 28. So you've got how many more Paralympics would you say? I'm just trying to get to the next one. The next one. Yeah. <laughs> I think LA is a really amazing place to my career just because it would be my seventh seven Paralympics. But see, the thing is, like, I love swimming. Like, it's the best form of exercise for me. I'm not going to go out on a run. Um, so that is kind of why I chose swimming is because I don't have to wear my prosthetics. But I don't really know. I don't know if I'll either. I've commentated for NBC before at a Paralympics. So I don't know if I'm going to commentate in LA or if I'll be swimming. But um, I definitely like this is the first time in Tokyo next year. I'll cut out a couple of events just adjust my swim schedule. I actually swim the most events present. I swim nine events. Um, well, seven events, but I also normally name to two relays and normally people will do like five, three to five events. So nine events is a lot. That's a lot going on. Let's, uh, let's get into some fun. Just end it off. So you're in the pool all the time. What do you do for fun besides swimming? Um, well, I got married a year ago, so that's been really fun. Nice. Um, so I obviously love spending time with my husband, Lucas. Um, he's a soccer, soccer coach, but was a soccer player too, by the way. But um, so yeah, no, I like that. I love coffee shops. I love dressing up because I feel like I'm always in sports athletic wear. So anytime I get to like dress up for dinner, like I take it very seriously. Like, I get really excited. Spending time with my family. I'm one of six kids, so that's fun. Um, but yeah, I'm like, what do I do? Or just like not doing anything is really nice. Just relaxing, chilling out. Yeah, yeah. So after, after you win a gold medal, you've won 13 of them, or after you have a huge event, um, do, do you celebrate? Do you have like a cheat meal or is it back to work right away? It's so funny. Um, there was a time when I was really, really, really serious. Like I wouldn't even eat like a cookie. Now I'm like, oh, everything's going to get super, super serious for me next month when I move out to the training center. So I have, I feel like I have like three more weeks to just kind of like, I don't know. I'm like, what do I even eat? That's really that bad. Um, nothing really that bad. I think we have like a little bit of ice cream in our fridge, but besides that, everything's like fruits and vegetables and salads. Um, I'll cut out all alcohol in next month as well. So that's a little, I'll go for a month. Yeah. So you got to be a little bit flexible these weeks before that month starts, I guess. Yeah, no, we'll get a little crazier. By the way, so being someone who's so medal oriented with the sport that you do, what are your thoughts on participation medals? I definitely don't want to participate in medal. 
we would gotten participation medals and I'm like, I kid you not, I've just thrown them away. But um, no, I mean, why would you want to participate? I mean, you're there. That's participating. Um, no, I think sometimes we pretend like everyone, everyone's not winners. Not everyone's a winner. So I don't know why we pretend that everyone's a winner. Like um, people are going to fail. And, and I, again, I think a lot more of that is parents. And maybe that's like the sports, but like, I don't know. I don't think we should teach them from a young age that everyone's just a winner. But that's just my, like, I want the gold. I want medals. Hardware. Also, I think it gives people, I think it makes them work harder. I do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing that there's only a something, there's, there's a specific thing that you can win. It's not just you showing up and you get whatever you want. Um, so let's, let's finish off by you telling us a little bit about the book, Unsinkable. Came out in 2018. You said you worked on it with your sister. Tell us about the book and the impact you want the book to make. Yeah, really good questions. Um, I, I remember being like 10 or 11 years old driving to swim practice with my dad. And again, like at this point, I had done nothing. Like I had not won a Paralympic medal. I hadn't set a record. I had like nothing. And um, he just, he like leaned over, just was like, Jess, one day I think you're going to have a book. And I was like, mm-hmm, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but it's really crazy. I, feel, I, I always felt like my book wasn't complete unless I met my birth family. Um, and that's a whole nother, we could talk a lot on that. But um, I ended up finding out about my birth family um, at a Paralympics, like right before the Paralympics in London, 2012. So I was 20 years old. That's crazy. 20. Wow. Um, but yeah, I ended up going back and meeting my birth mom. My birth mom married my birth father and they have three children. So I was the oldest put up for adoption because of my legs. So we talk all about that in the book and it's kind of, instead of chapters, it's just moments of my life. We talk about, you know, what more in depth of my dad's journey, kind of like his, like, that's really cool. Um, you know, growing up being adopted, not always feeling like I fit in, not feeling like enough, kind of what I learned with sports, um, a lot about my family, just the anger. I think the anger is really a big one, but just like overcoming even some of the anger. So I, I think it's really good. It's, it's cool that my sister got to write it. Um, and it's more of a young adult, like kind of children's book, but a lot of pictures and just kind of, I think it's very raw. It's very, you know, a lot of people see the really tough Jess, the swimmer Jess, but it's like a very sweet, like, I don't know, just a little bit more into my heart if you want to read it. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. It's always interesting to get a, a different perspective because we see the, the mentally tough Jessica in front of, in front of events and in front of competition, but I'm sure there's so many different layers to who you are. Yeah. I'm like, what is it even about? I'm sitting here <laughs> like, I haven't read it in a couple of years. It came out two years ago, but it's really about your story and understanding that everyone has, even through the tough moments, it's still part of your story. So that's what it's about. I'm like, what is it even about? <laughs> where can people get the book, Jessica, and where can people connect with you? Oh yeah. So I'm on all the social platforms. Um, I definitely really like Instagram. I just got on TikTok. I still don't know what I'm doing, but I do like TikTok. Um, and then people can get my book at really any major bookstore or Amazon. Nice. Jessica, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. I'm so happy you've had all of these incredible achievements and that you've been able to continue to keep going despite all the setbacks and despite all the adversity. And I am cheering you on for Tokyo 2021 that's coming up soon. So keep working hard. I know you will. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the 8 Billion Gifts podcast. Check out the links in the description if you are looking to get connected with this week's guest. This is a great platform to expand your network, connect with people who come on, and to learn something new at the same time. Stay tuned for next week's episode featuring a new story and mindset. In the meantime, keep learning, keep growing, and have an amazing day.